You're listening to Coca Radio Converse Internet Radio for the students, by the students. This is Hearts and Parts, the love child of Coca Radio and Converse Ally Club, where we discuss LGBT history, music, and current events and answer your burning questions. In today's episode, we'll be discussing transgender women's place in the LGBTQIA rights movement and the current administration's attempts to discriminate against transgender individuals. First, we'll discuss moments in the movement, historical events, figures, and context of the LGBT movement and culture. Recently, some gay advocates have come forward saying that they feel the T should be removed from LGBT, including large-scale internet publishing platforms like Instinct, claiming that transgender people have no place in the sexuality movement and that advocating for their rights draws support away from the entire movement. Of course, this isn't correct or justified, and it attempts to break the intersectional ties of the movement. Transgender individuals have always fought for gay rights and played a huge role in the entire gay pride movement. Today, we'll be talking about the role transgender people, especially transgender women, played in the establishing points of the pride movement in history. The conditions leading up to these uprisings in the 1950s and 60s were abhorrent. Homosexual and transgender individuals were added alongside anarchists and communists to the list of un-American and subversive individuals. They were kept under surveillance, blackmailed, harassed, and humiliated, often losing their jobs, becoming imprisoned or institutionalized. As these individuals grew more distraught, they began to band together in so-called homophile organizations. The organizations perpetuated two identifying events in the gay pride movement starting in the late 60s, the first being the less famous of the two. In 1966, Compton's Cafeteria in San Francisco was one of the few places for transgender people to congregate because they were unwelcome in gay-specific spaces like bars and clubs. However, as employees of the chain restaurant grew fearful of police cracking down on areas where illegal activity like cross-dressing occurred, they reported their transgender guests to the police. The community responded with protest, the first such protest against transgender individuals' mistreatment by the police. What turned this protest into a riot, though? Well, when a cop tried to address a transgender woman, she threw her cup of coffee in his face. I mean, a valid reason, given how unreasonable it was for it to be illegal at all at the time, and the violence these officers perpetrated against these women. The other women began to act out, too, throwing dishes and chairs, smashing windows, and burning a newspaper stand to the ground. The protest continued into the next night with more transgender and LGBT activists in tow. However, no police records from the event exist today. And without newspaper coverage of LGBT issues at the time, no one knows the exact days the events occurred in 1966. Just a few years later, on the opposite side of the country, the party really began. The Greenwich Village of New York, a sizable gay neighborhood following World War I, was home to the Stonewall Inn, the only gay bar in New York that allowed dancing. Of course, this was its only perk. It was a crappy bar. The staff was rude, they didn't clean their glasses, they watered down their liquor, and there were no fire exits or consistently working toilets. They didn't even have a liquor license. However, the bar was run by the mafia, who paid off police to prevent raids and maintain their CDA business. And for the homeless, gay youth, transgender women and queens, and the rest of their community, this bar was as close to home as they had. While the bar was typically tipped off to the raids before they occurred, which was usually in the early evening, the night of June 28th, 1969, it was different. 
police showed up with some big news for the bar and its guests. We're taking the place. Even for the police, the raid did not go as planned. After officers requested the queens come with them, they refused, and so the police decided to take everyone present. They began to feel up lesbian women present and physically forced individuals out of the bar, beating customers with batons, causing feelings of anger, discomfort, and hostility. As individuals began resisting arrest again, shouting and throwing pennies and beer bottles, the violence grew. The inciting moment was self-identified butch lesbian Storm de la Verri being shoved into the back of a police car saying, why don't you guys do something? Individuals began singing and chanting in a similar manner, calling for gay power and to fight back against the cops. When officers left the customers outside unattended, some say on purpose, all hell broke loose. The crowd attempted to flip a vehicle, slash tires, through bricks, and more. Sylvia Rivera, a transgender woman raised by the homeless gay and drag community of New York, began to throw bottles. She said later that she did it because they had nothing to lose. Marsha P. Johnson, friends with Sylvia, a transgender woman and self-identified drag queen known for her involvement in the riots and subsequent advocacy, showed up at around 2 a.m. to the building smoldering, throwing a shot glass at a mirror saying, I've got my gay rights. Police barricaded themselves from the crowd along with several detainees, calling for backup. With much violence, the streets were mostly cleared within a few hours. However, the riots continued. Multiple papers covered the riot the next day. The Daily News, the New York Post, and the New York Times. Thousands gathered in front of the burnt remnant of the building, constricting street traffic and preventing the movement of cars and buses down the street without the occupants' explicit support for the people there. Marsha was sighted climbing a lamppost in order to drop a heavy bag through the windshield of a car. The violence continued until backup cleared the streets again around 4 a.m. The acts of the previous two days would go down in history, leading to gay pride protests and displays against government regulation of sexuality and gender identity in major cities around the United States. The women I discuss here today went on to do amazing things, including gay and transgender rights advocacy, HIV and AIDS advocacy, and charity work for homeless transgender teens like Sylvia. The intersectionality of this movement is undeniable. These were African-American and Latina transgender women. The majority of those involved with the riot were African-American and Latina gay men and transgender women. Without these brave women with nothing to lose, the gay pride movement would have never taken off. Here on Hearts and Parts, we aim to feature an LGBTQIA musician who has influenced their field and the community. This week, our featured artist is Against Me, in 2014, the band, led by transgender woman Laura Jane Grace, released a very different album. After coming out publicly in 2012 with her intention to transition, she chronicled her struggles with gender dysphoria and the issues of coming out in her relationships and daily life. The album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, made waves in the music community. The album debuted at number six on the rock charts, peaked at 23 on the Billboard Top 200, and was hailed as one of the top albums of the year by Time Magazine, Rolling Stone, Noisy, and more. With songs like True Trans Soul Rebel, she makes an emotionally connective musical memoir of her experiences. She went on to publish an actual memoir in 2016, participated in a documentary highlighting the experiences of gender variance, and worked with foundations to help homeless LGBT youth. Laura Jane Grace shows so much bravery coming out after having established herself in the music industry, sharing her story, and continuing towards her best self. 
She even describes an improvement in her music and performance by coming out, saying, however fierce our band was in the past, imagine me, six foot two, in high heels, screaming into someone's face. So without further ado, here's a more gentle song off of the wave-making album, Two Coffins. Coffins for sleep, one for you, one for me. We'll get there eventually. In the dark of our graves, our bodies will decay. I wish you'd never change. How lucky I ever was to see the way that you smile at me. Your little moon face shining bright at me. for sleep Two coffins for sleep All the things that I have yet to lose will someday be gone too Back into annihilation All things will fade Maybe it's better off that way I wish you'd stay with me How lucky I ever was to see for sleep How lucky I ever was to see the way that you smile at me Your little moon face shining bright at me One day soon there'll be nothing left of you and me Two coffins for sleep Two coffins for sleep Coffins for sleep Two coffins for sleep It's time to discuss current events out in the world here on Hearts and Parts. In late July of this year, the largest employer of transgender individuals in the United States was ordered by the administration to stop the hiring of transgender individuals and demanding the discharge of currently employed transgender persons. Today, we'll be talking about the attempted transgender military ban. Let's relate this all back to a past but not far gone legislation. Don't ask, don't tell. Only repealed in 2010, the law prohibited service by openly gay and transgender individuals. Those discovered to be openly gay face dishonorable discharge and, as a result, possible difficulties with future employment for honest and hardworking people who are good at their jobs. This is the fate that would be faced by individuals discharged by this attempted ban. The biggest reason cited for this ban back in July and August was to prevent the use of taxpayer dollars for transgender health care like hormone replacement therapy and gender confirmation surgeries. However, this is a poor attempt in that few taxpayer dollars contribute to transgender health care in this respect. And it also bars the Department of Defense, which currently employs an estimated 15,000 transgender individuals, according to the UCLA, from hiring one of their largest populations. 
21% of transgender individuals serve or have served in the military as compared to 10% of the general population. These individuals are willing, apt, and able to serve in the military. Despite how many transgender individuals do serve, little funding goes towards their transgender-specific health care. 17 hundredths of a percent of the nearly $50 billion in expenses of the Department of Defense goes towards hormone replacement therapy and gender confirmation. For comparison, the department spends close to 2% on erectile dysfunction medication alone. Only one in three transgender individuals receive surgical treatment and more receiving top surgeries than bottom surgeries due to significantly invasive and sensitive nature of genital surgeries overall. More medical organizations are recognizing hormone and surgical treatment as medically necessary because they can keep these individuals alive. Discrimination, violence, and suicide are all more common in individuals who fail to receive access to these treatments or fail to pass as cisgender in daily life. However, many insurance companies categorically exclude transgender patients from receiving this care as part of their coverage, forcing much of these expenses to be covered out of pocket. The biggest reason all of this is such a silly attempt is that it is not stated in these statistics. If the amount the military spends on transgender healthcare is negligible, they cause no problems in cooperation between servicemen and servicewomen, and they in fact serve more than their cisgender counterparts, this band is a showy and poorly done attempt at barring a capable population from government employment, similar to that seen in the 1950s and 60s that sparked the anger fueling the gay pride movement and its instigating riots. Thankfully, multiple federal courts have put injunctions on this attempt and prevented any serious implication of this ban. However, as we have recently seen with the issue of the federal travel ban, we must keep working to prevent this from coming to fruition. That's all for this week, y'all. Join us next time to talk about LGBT representation in politics and the shift towards inclusivity in recent elections. Got a question for me? Click the link in the description for a chance to hear your answer on air. Until next time, I'm Vic Sloan. Be kind, Converse. Thanks for listening to Coco Radio. If you like what you hear, follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat for daily updates.